the United States and the Soviet Union on a sheet of ice in Lake Placid, New York. Muller trying to turn. There's the left foot. What a tracking shot. Johnny Muller. If you see a 9-9, Olga Corbett's won a gold medal. There it is. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable. You're listening to a podcast from Key Moments in Cold War Sports History, an online archive series showcasing the work of expert historians. I'm Vince Hunt and I'll be hosting the series, asking each guest to choose an important document or artefact they think is of great significance in the Cold War sports arena. If you've enjoyed our podcasts, please share them with your friends and colleagues and rate and review them on iTunes, which helps other people to find them. And thanks to listeners who've already done that, especially Duarte S, Boatsy McJadeface and Birdie198700. Thanks for your comments. It's one of the traits of soccer fans that they are generous in their recognition of talented players, no matter who they play for. In these days of global football, shown live around the world, the early days of black and white soccer created a generation of players still celebrated today. And one of those is the Black Spider, the Russian international keeper Lev Yashin. Here to tell me more about this is Maurizio Barrero. He teaches Russian and world history at St. John's University in Queens, New York. Maurizio, thanks very much for joining us to talk about uh, Lev Yashin. He's one of the early great goalkeepers, isn't he? Yes, he is. And I think part of the reason was because of the way he played. Most uh, soccer fans and historians would, would say that he changed the way that goalkeepers played by the way he would go out of the area, the way he, he would organize the defenses and so forth. But I think part of, it, of his appeal might also come from the fact that he, he came from the Soviet Union which, uh, and uh, played in the 50s and 60s uh, at a time when the Soviet Union was beginning to come out of its shell from the 30s and 40s. And he, he was a very charismatic player. So uh, one of the things that we see uh, in the 1950s is that, that after about two decades of not competing in uh, major tournaments, uh, the Soviet Union, uh, after Stalin's death, begins to take part in, in some of the major international tournaments. In the case of soccer, they have a very good team uh, in the, the mid-50s. Yashin is, is a starting goalkeeper, and he will remain the starting goalkeeper for the Soviet side uh, uh, through the mid-1960s. So his playing arc coincides with, with this moment when the Soviet Union is also emerging on the international stage and also coincides with a time when soccer itself is becoming much more globalized. And so there, there are many more international competitions, there are many more tours of uh, clubs going abroad to playing uh, friendly games. And the final factor for his popularity, I think, is that this time period coincides with the fact that sporting events, particularly soccer games, are being broadcast more and more on TV. I think it's that that really has created this legend of uh, Lev Yashin, because in the early days of TV, here was this keeper who was uh, ordering his defence around, coming off his line, which keepers didn't do in those days, did they? They jumped up and down on the line, uh, slapping their hands together. Right. And here he is, he's, he, he puts proactivity into the realm of the goalkeeper. And more importantly, uh, he's this figure on these black and white shots, dressed entirely in black. Right. Now, it should be said that, that he's not necessarily the first one to play the game this way. You know, you know, he would be the first one to recognize that he's influenced by other goalkeepers. But he's the first one 
who is widely known worldwide for, for that particular playing style. Uh, and he takes it, I think, to a much higher level than it had been done before. And part of his appeal, like you said, is, is the way he looked. He was a tall, thin player dressed in black the whole time, although I, th- I think uh, many goalkeepers probably wore black, but, but for some reason he's always seen as, as, as a picture in those ways. But I think that there's a certain magnetism to the way he looked and compounded by the way he played. Let's put Yashin into a historical context because his first World Cup was 1958, the Pele World Cup, and he appeared at four World Cups between 1958 and 1970. And of course, that includes the Wembley final of 1966, the year that England won the World Cup. So that gives him access to the English press, which is maybe why he has such a high profile uh, in the UK. Give us a sense in which Yashin became an international figure based on his World Cup appearances? Well, he, um, uh, he went to four World Cups, but uh, he did not, uh, uh, the 1958, 62, 66, uh, uh, and 1970, he did not play in the 1970 Cup. Uh, by then, I, I believe he was 40 years old as a third-string goalkeeper, part-time coach. For, for the other three, he had two good World Cups and one bad World Cup. The 58 and 66 are the good World Cups. The 62 in Chile was, was one where he was criticized for, for conceding several goals that, that he should not have been conceded and in some ways is a low point up of his career, followed by the best year in 1963 when, when he, uh, he mentioned the British press. I, I think 63 is, is when they have a, a FIFA All-Star game in Wembley and he dazzles the British press. He plays really well in that game. Uh, and then he goes on in 1963 to, uh, to win the uh, Ballon d'Or, the Golden Football Prize that is given to the, the best soccer player by the French press and is one of the more prestigious awards. To this day, he's, he's the single only goalkeeper who's received that award. No other uh, goalkeeper has received it. And then 1966 is a very good World Cup when, when the Soviet Union finishes fourth and again he uh, he dazzles the British press. He plays very well. Uh, the Soviet Union finishes fourth. Um, by then, he's already 37 years old. So I think that's also part of his appeal, that, that he's kept this consistently high performance you know, through those years. Tell me something about his playing career off the international arena. He grows up in Moscow. He uh, joins Dynamo Sports Society at a fairly young age. He marries young. He has uh, two daughters. By all accounts, he was a very friendly, sort of uh, good guy in some ways. Uh, and often in the press, there is reference to his smile that might seem kind of an odd reference nowadays. But if you l- look at it in the context of the Cold War and the stereotypes of Soviet athletes as being sort of machine-like and, and not, not very friendly and uh, extremely focused and all that, you know, he was someone who, uh, who came across as smiling, friendly. The international players loved him. I mean, there's uh, many photographs of, of him with Pelé and Bobby Moore and other players from that whole generation shaking hands and hugging and, and those sort of things. He was also known to be uh, someone who, uh, uh, before games, got nervous very nervous, and so he would smoke and maybe take a shot of vodka from time to time to steal his nerves. So I think, you know, all of this combined kind of humanizes him in a way that might not seem too surprising for us nowadays, but in the context of the Cold War and prevailing stereotypes from that time is surprising. 
I was looking at some statistics about his playing record, and I noticed that he's made more than 150 penalty saves. Yes. And he kept over 270 clean sheets in his career. I think he prided himself on the fact that he was such a good penalty saver. And there's a famous quote of him that you see everywhere where where he compares himself to Gagarin, who was kind of another Soviet superstar from that time, where he says, the joy of seeing your Gagarin flying in space is only superseded by by the joy of a a good penalty save. There's a lovely quote that you've got there in your uh, little compendium of quotes. Uh, The secretary of the Egyptian Football Federation in 1963 sends a message saying, please bring Yashin. Please bring Yashin. It's a cable that I found in one of the Soviet archives that I think to me kind of typifies the, the how popular he was worldwide. And, and when, when Soviet teams go on tour, be it his, his own club, Dinamo, or the Soviet national side, you see a lot of correspondence in the Soviet Federation archives, the Soviet Soccer Federation, uh, kind of like this one, where they say, uh, we would like for you to come with your team, please bring Yashin, make sure he comes. So to me, this is a testament of, of his worldwide popularity. And he was no slouch domestically either, because in his professional career with Dynamo Moscow from 1950 to 1970, he won the uh, Soviet Union Football Championship five times and the USSR Cup three times. He, he went on to, to win 78 caps for the international team. I mean, this is a man who really redefines the role of, a, of an international and domestic goalkeeper, isn't it? Absolutely. The Soviet Union has a tradition, actually, and, and I'm, I'm still trying to work out why this is, of having good goalkeepers. So he's in this line, and the, uh, Dasayev follows him. Uh, those of you who know soccer in the 1980s, Arina Dasayev is, uh, was a quite good goalie. So he fits into this longer tradition of good Soviet goalkeepers, but, but he's a standout performer. He's, uh, he's definitely the best. He achieved recognition at the end of his life. When he died, he got a state funeral. Yes, and, and I, I, th- I think much of what happens after his death, beginning with his funeral, but, but also the way he's remembered afterwards, you know, coincides with the end of the Soviet Union. So there has been quite a lot of work published after, afterwards and, and films made and documentaries made, where I think... It, there's a combination of recognition for what he did. Uh, he was one of the top goalkeepers of all time. Combination of that with a nostalgia, I guess, for a time when the Soviet Union soccer teams, at least, were, were much better than they, than they have been in the last few decades you know, after the fall of the Soviet Union. So how much of, of the way he's, he's remembered now is partly fueled by nostalgia for what were seen as better times, at least in soccer. If, and, and I guess you can extrapolate from that to, to nostalgia for the Soviet, the Soviet system, uh, which some people have. Much of the way he's remembered now, I, I guess, kind of uh, blends into this, this uh, desire for a time when, when the Soviet Union soccer team, at least, what was seen, maybe he's not one of the best, but, but was fairly competitive. How was his death received in 1990 from, uh, from stomach cancer. I think with great sadness, partly because he suffered quite a lot in his final years. He had had surgery before where part of his leg had uh, been cut off. There was sadness for the fact that he died and that, that he had suffered those years before his death. 
1990, which is when he died, I, I, I don't think there's, there's still an awareness that the Soviet system is, is going to end. They're in the middle of, of all these democratic discussions and reforms that maybe one or two years later, there's, we'll see that the Soviet system has ended. I don't think in 1990 there's still a sense that it's going to end very soon. When, when it does come, that end comes in 1991, it's a surprise to many because it's, the Soviet Union is dissolved by three government leaders, not from some sort of popular mass revolt. So in some ways, Yashin's death in 1990, although we can see now that that his life and playing career kind of fit from the war to, to the end of the Soviet Union. Uh, at the time, it wasn't really seen in those terms yet. But I think afterwards, in the uh, decades or two that, that have followed, there, there is this the, uh, this sense of nostalgia that creeps into the way he's remembered. You've done all this research into Lev Yashin. What's your favorite moment? Well, I have a personal history with Yashin because I grew up in Colombia, and one of Yashin's worst games was in the 1962 World Cup against Colombia, where the Soviet Union uh, took a 4-1 to lead and then gave, gave up three goals, and the final score was 4-4. And Colombia back then was, was a minnow. I mean, they're, they're much better now in, in soccer. Back then, that, that was their first World Cup. So... Uh, as a kid, I grew up with this Colombian myth of this one game that we had played in 1962 where we scored four goals on, on the great Yashin, which is seen as one of his worst moments. But that, for me, is the best-known game that he played. But favorite moments is just, I guess, just watching films of him play, which, which fortunately we can do now on YouTube. You just uh, do a search of Yashin, and you get to see the, the way he played and the way he carried himself on the field. And what do you like most about what you see? His presence, I, I, I think, that he commands the area, the uh, penalty box, in such a way that I'm sure he's not the first one to do this, but he just comes across as a very dominant player, but also, if you can see this on, on the field, kind of warm-hearted. And I'm, I'm not sure if that, that's something that I, that I see now that I've researched him. I go back and see that where I, that, that might not have been there at first. You're seeing the man behind the keeper, though, aren't you? Yes, now? that's yes. You're not the number nine that's trying to slot him from the edge of the area no, when he's no. advancing on you, no. are you? <laughs> no, I'm not. I, I grew up wanting to, to be a goalkeeper, and maybe that, that, that was part of my interest in Yashin. You wanted to be Lev Yashin. I wanted to be Lev Yashin. You've been listening to a podcast from the series Key Moments in Cold War Sports History, a project bringing together experts from around the world and hosted here on the Wilson Centre's online digital archive at digitalarchive.org. These podcasts are part of the project The Global History of Sport in the Cold War, which is sponsored by the National Endowment of the Humanities, directed by Professor Bob Edelman of UC San Diego, Professor Chris Young from the University of Cambridge, and Dr Christian Osterman of the Woodrow Wilson Centre, and run in collaboration with the German Historical Institute Moscow, the Jordan Centre for Advanced Russian Studies at New York University, and Pembroke College, University of Cambridge. The presenter is Vince Hunt and the series is produced by Vince Hunt and Laura Deal.